So in other words, it's not, again, it's not that asking if it will make money is a bad question. It's a great question. It's important. It's got to make money or you've got a hobby. And while hobbies are great, it's not the same as having a business. You don't support yourself with a hobby, but it's asking the right question first. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Grace for Impact. Can a subtle shift in focus really make that big of a difference in your business and in your income? Our guest says absolutely yes. Bob Berg is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with total sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, authored with John David Mann, has sold over a half a million copies and has been translated into 21 different languages. It has been reissued in a new and expanded edition with a foreword by Huffington Post founder and publisher Ariana Huffington. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He's also an unapologetic animal fanatic and serves on the board of trustees of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. He is only the second guest in the history of the show to call out empathy as a superpower that he possesses, and he's constantly working on developing that skill. We cover a lot on today's show, including the five laws of stratospheric success, how mentorship can have an incredibly powerful and game-changing impact in both the mentor's life and the mentee's life, and so much more. Don't be a podcast junkie. Bust out your pen and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Hey, Bob, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we spend time having conversations with game changers, leaders, entrepreneurs who are using their product, service, or platform to have a significantly positive impact in the lives of others. And you are definitely an impact entrepreneur. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Mike. I'm I'm honored to be included uh, in that description. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. I always start off my interviews and my conversations with the superpower question because it's, it's just a fun question, but it also provides a lot of insight. And I think we can, you know, help entrepreneurs learn how to, how, how they, can embrace their own superpower and and use it every day in their lives. So if you could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? And then how can entrepreneurs apply the essence of that superpower in their daily lives? Well, is it a superpower that I I believe I have or a superpower that I would like to have? Well, it's it's up to you. If you okay. have a super I I kind of I kind of sense like this 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 wonder and awe about a superpower that you might want to have. Okay. But, uh, but you, so you, you could roll with whatever you think would provide the most value. To people. Well, I mean, I, you know, if I, if I had a, a real superpower, I'd, I'd like to know what other people are thinking. Okay. You know, I mean, human nature is such an interesting thing. And I, I 
have made a study of human nature. I think anyone in personal development, I mean, that's in a sense, it's what we do. Not not just those of us in personal development, but I mean, anyone who is looking to improve themselves, anyone who is looking to be a more effective human being, uh, we need to understand human nature, what drives others. And, you know, basically what's, what's so interesting is everything people think, feel, say, and do has its, has its roots back in the cave person days, you know, when every day was a matter of survival. Right. And so many of the things that, that, that we, we don't need now, or that are even counterproductive to our own sense of happiness or effectiveness and so forth, we still have, it's, it's wired into our DNA as the old saying goes. So understanding human nature and what drives people is, is I think very important. And if I, and Hey, I study it, but that doesn't mean I know it, right? Because (laughs) we all come from our own different belief systems, our own ways of seeing the world. And so we may think we understand what another person's thinking, but we don't. We're basing that on what we're thinking based on our belief system. So I'd say if there was a superpower I could have, it would be knowing what other people are thinking. Now, if there's a superpower I do have, and I'm not sure it qualifies as a superpower, but I think it's something that has helped me be more effective than I would be without it, and that is I have a very both natural and well-developed sense of empathy. Mm. Uh, I seem to be able to really feel what people are feeling, which again, doesn't mean I, I know how they feel. It just means I have a sense when they're feeling something that's right. not positive or, or, and it, and it helps me to be more understanding just in, and helps me to ask the right questions and and helps me to relate to them in a certain way that I think is effective. Is that something that was just, you just innately possessed or is that something that you've worked on developing? Well, this opens up a whole can of worms. So just a a very reader's (laughs) digest. It's a great question, but it just happens to be that it's a, it's, it's far more than a soundbite response. And, and I have always had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is something very misunderstood. OCD is not, oh, I, you know, I'm so OCD about this. No, that, that is not obsessive compulsive disorder. That just means you're obsessed about something or you're obsessive about something or, you know, something's important to you, maybe out of the way of what it maybe should be. That's obsessive and and someone can be compulsive. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a lack of serotonin to the brain. And it's a, um, how would you call it? It's a very sad and very counterproductive type of way of, of going through life. I mean, it, it, you have unwanted, horrible, ongoing thoughts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about things that are very, very disturbing. And the compulsions, the things like, you know, washing hands obsessively or doing this or doing that, all the things that are sort of stereotypical when, when people try to, those are more a a, um, an effect as opposed to the cause. So anyway, okay. without really getting into it, it's, it's a very distressing way to live life. And again, it's a chemical imbalance. That's what it is. Right. Chemical imbalance in the brain. Because of this, despite a lot of other advantages, life has often been very difficult. And because of that, I think that is what has given me the empathy because I, I can sort of tune in. I, I can really feel people's pain because mm-hmm. I have felt it myself. Uh, on a very intense level. So uh, if someone said, well, Bob, if you, if you had the choice of, you know, being born without OCD and not being as empathetic or 
being born and having to live with OCD, but being empathetic, would you choose to have OCD? And while it would be very brave and heroic to say, oh yeah, I'd choose the OCD and being empathetic. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I would absolutely rather not have ever had OCD and not have been, has not been as empathetic. <laughs> but the fact that I have had it, it's also something that I've done my best to make the best of and uh, doing my best to understand there's a purpose, you know, that, that I have it. And using it in such a way that I can that I can bring value to the world with it. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's very authentic and vulnerable. And I think that uh, empathy, uh, I've, I've heard it said that the, the two key ingredients to a real, real success with relating to other people are empathy and gratitude. And it's a, it's a skill that entrepreneurs can really work on developing. Mm -hmm. And, and so what are some ways that you know, those, those of us that don't, you know, battle with OCD or, or other ailments mm -hmm. on a daily basis, what are, what are some ways that we can take that superpower of empathy and develop it and apply it in our daily lives? Well, empathy can be developed. It can be developed. I think the first step is, is understanding why it's important. And if you read books on emotional intelligence, you know Daniel Goleman's book was was sort of the first that really brought brought emotional intelligence, the idea of it, into the world. Empathy being a very big part of that, because what is emotional intelligence more than really you know understanding yours and another person's feelings, or at least being able to understand they have feelings about something and being able to regulate those feelings, being able to act in such a way that because of and or despite those feelings, you're able to bring most value to others and of course to yourself. So it's understanding why it's so important. And empathy is very, very important to, a, to, to becoming a successful person. Then it's, it's practicing. How do you practice? You practice by doing it. You know, you say to yourself, okay, uh, maybe I, I don't feel as though that's a part of my nature to be empathetic, but if it were, how would I act? How would I be? How would I feel? How can I become more consciously aware of someone in front of me uh, in terms of, you know, what they're, what, that, that they're feeling something? Uh, have you ever watched the, uh, the Big Bang Theory? Uh, yes, the TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Sheldon Cooper is the, the you know, absolute genius. He's the, you know, the, uh, combination of, you know, Einstein and, and, and Hawking's and all these people, but, but he also has absolutely no empathy. Right. right. He, he, right. he has no feeling for anyone else, but himself. He's a total narcissist. Um, yeah, which, which of course Hawking and Einstein were not, but I'm just saying that that's sort of, uh, uh, Sheldon's thing. But if you notice, Sheldon is not very effective with people, <laughs> right? Because right. he cannot fit. So, so it's understanding that, you know, uh, that we need to be able to, and, and I guarantee you, if you're listening to this and, and empathy is not part of your nature, you're not as bad off as Sheldon uh, is. Okay. <laughs> you have the ability to improve your, your sense of empathy. So it's asking yourself the question, staying consciously aware. What could this person be feeling? You know, or do, do they look upset? Do they seem upset? Are they asking certain questions that clue me that there's something going on or are there certain things they're not asking? that, that gives me that clue. So it's paying attention. It's being, it's, it's being empathetic, even if you don't feel that way and getting feedback on it and starting to learn. But I'll tell you, it's, it's not as hard as it seems because the fact is we have all had things that have happened in our lives and it doesn't have to be OCD. It could be anything that has been very sad. 
And just mm-hmm. like a method actor, you know, kind of taps into their their uh, uh, emotions from other areas in order to put it into their their acting. We can always go back to a, a place and a time where we were hurt, you know, where we felt badly, where we were miserable about something, and we can get that feeling. And we can then say, you know, could this be what that other person's feeling? And if they mm-hmm. are, you know, I can take action to to be of help. So that's it's how beautiful. we that's how we practice. Yeah. That that's beautiful. And I think that we're probably going to talk a little bit more about that a, a little bit deeper when we dive into the go giver, because really, I mean, it's all about other as Anthony in as Anthony Ian Arena says, uh, other orientation. Right. You know? Absolutely. But before we dump in there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you are an entrepreneur? What was an impact moment or maybe a series of moments that launched you on this grand adventure that you're experiencing right now? Well, perhaps my, my, one of my at least highest values is liberty, uh, a sense of freedom. And someone who's an entrepreneur is saying, well, we don't have that. <laughs> and it seems like we don't, but in a sense we do because it's still our choice. And we're still controlling our lives. We've decided to take control of our lives. And that's what liberty really is. That's what freedom really is. Uh, it, it's very, it was always very difficult for me to work for others, especially when I just didn't feel that what they were doing was the most productive way to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I had all the answers, not that I was necessarily right. It was just how I felt. Uh, and I think it's part of my nature to be entrepreneurial. And so I, I, you know, I think that's, and and not everyone is, and not everyone has to be, you know, we all, again, it's always everything we do when you think about it is the pursuit of happiness. Uh, Human beings constantly seek happiness based on how they value happiness and what, what brings happiness to one person wouldn't necessarily bring it to another person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we, and we pursue that happiness based on what we believe our choices are. And so, you know, I choose to be in business for myself. I have a much better feeling of of freedom and liberty that way. I have a better feeling about myself. And I, quite frankly, think I can help a lot more people being uh, an entrepreneur than I can by by being part of someone else's organization. But again, that's just me. You know, we all have our, we all have our, our ways, means, and reasons for doing things. Was there a particular moment that where you were working for someone, you were an employee where you, where you were like, you know what, I, I, I got to do this. I got to break away. I feel this burning desire in me to, to have this liberty and the impact uh, greater than what I can have in this one organization. I can't say there was any one um, moment where that happened, but I think I just always felt that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, let's transition into into The Go-Giver because it is an amazing book, um, a very easy read for all of you listeners to to go out there. It's, it, it's a wonderful story and it's a true story. And for those of my listeners who have not yet read The Go-Giver, can you share with us a little bit about the premise of the book? Sure. It's, it's actually, it's a, you know, a business parable. Uh, so while there are a lot of truths in the book and a lot of things in the book actually did happen, the story itself is is a work of fiction. So I just don't want anyone to think I'm misleading them. <laughs> sure, 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 <laughs> but sure. There, there are a lot of things that did happen in there that that, that actually were on were truth, and and we just put them into the story. Uh, right. But it's a uh, 
And it was co-authored by John David Mann, who's a fantastic, fantastic storyteller. And uh, it's about a guy named Joe. He's a, a young, aggressive, up-and-coming salesperson, a good guy, lots of potential, means well, but his focus is really in the wrong place. And he's just just totally frustrated by the fact that he's he has not achieved anywhere near the success he feels he deserves. But Joe is very focused on himself. It's all about him. It's it's you know why is this happening to him and who owes what to him and and so forth. And uh, he seeks out a uh, person by the name of Pindar, who is sort of the main mentor or guide in the story. And Joe learns a very valuable lesson. And this is really the premise of the entire book. And I, I, I love that question. Like, here's really what he learned, that shifting one's focus, and this is the key, shifting one's focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that doing so is not only a, a nice way to live life and conduct business, it's actually a very financially profitable way as well. That's that's as one who has read the book and and gone from the beginning to to the end to see the transformation of the character Joe and the story is amazing and it's it, it just resonates so clearly that and, and and in in a certain way it's very common sense when we when we think about mm-hmm. how we should go about living our lives whether it's a business or just in personal relationships, but oftentimes things that are our common sense aren't actually uh, executed on. Right. Can you give us a, uh, a quick review of the five laws that you and John share in the book? Sure. The uh, laws themselves are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. Uh, would you like me to do a little Reader's Digest of them? Or Sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, law number one, which is the law of value, says your your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment, which sounds kind of productive when you first hear it, right? Like you're not making a profit or something, but of course, that's not, that's not true. When we say give more in value than we take in payment, we have to understand the difference, the uh, profound difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's finite. Uh, it is what it is. Value, on the other hand, Mike, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea that brings so much worth or value to it that someone will willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit? A quick example from the book is you had... um, uh, Iafrate's Italian cafe, a high-end cafe. It, you know, you go into that restaurant, you know, you're going to spend some money in that restaurant, right? But, but the way they make you feel the entire experience, the way you're greeted and treated, the ambiance of the restaurant, the, the, the presentation of the food, the food itself, the way that you, I mean, you know, you may have spent a hundred bucks or a couple hundred dollars in there, but you come away feeling like a million bucks, right? Right. You, you know, you receive hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars in value while you paid a hundred or a couple of hundred dollars. So you come away feeling great. Uh, you got more in value than what you paid for. But of course, as far in terms of the owner of the restaurant, uh, his costs of goods sold, the food, the employees, the upkeep obviously cost him a lot less than what he was charging for the food. So like in any 
free market-based transaction where no one is forced to do business with anyone else, uh, there are always two people who profit, the buyer and the seller. And that's really what we mean. And that should be the heart of every great transaction. You give more in value than you took in payment, but both of you profited as a result. Now, law number two is the law of compensation. This is uh, this simply says your your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with that exceptional value, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. So it's not just value, it's also how many lives you impact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Law number three, the law of uh, influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Again, sounds kind of productive, but when you think about it, all the greatest leaders, top influencers, highest producing salespeople and entrepreneurs, this is how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always focused on bringing value to others. Now, I want to just um, very quickly qualify this because it can be easily misunderstood. When we say place the other person's interests first, we certainly don't mean you should be anyone's doormat or a uh, a martyr or uh, self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's simply that as several of the mentors in the story told Joe, the protege, the, the golden rule of business is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by, uh, you know, as, uh, as uh, Sam, one of the mentors, told Joe, making your win about the other person's win. In other words, moving from an I focus or me focus to what we call an other focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Law number four, the law of authenticity, the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Uh, Deborah Davenport shared her big lesson, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they all are, and they are all very, very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. When you do, you're really coming from strength. In order to do this, we need to know what our strengths are. We need to be able to understand the value we bring to the table. Because when we do, now we're able to show up authentically. We're able to show up from strength. And law number five, the law of receptivity says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. This means nothing more than the fact that, yes, we breathe out and we also have to breathe in. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. Contrary to the messages that we receive from the world, the, the messages of lack, the messages of, you know, if you make money, you had to do something wrong to get there and wealthy people are bad, you know, all these horrible messages that we get. No, that's not true at all, especially the more free market a society is, the more you had to provide value to others in order to earn that money. So, you know, I like people to know that giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're two sides of the very same coin and they work in tandem. Uh, all the giving of value, all the giving in the world is great, but it's all for naught if you're not, if you don't make yourself available to receive in like measure. So the key, so it's not, am I a giver or a receiver? It's I'm a giver and a receiver. But it all goes back to focus. The focus is on the giving, 
and then you need to allow yourself to receive. This, by the way, is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. You know, it's obvious that this book, to a large degree, is about uh, mentorship and being open to mentorship and, mm-hmm. and others. And it it's clear that it can have a powerful impact in the lives of both the mentor and the mentee. Can you share a story about a mentor who's impacted your life and shaped your outlook? Well, I've been very lucky to uh, have the parents that I've had because they were my greatest mentors because I got to watch them, <laughs> you know, and I just got to, right. to, to see how really great people lived a great life. And always, always bringing value to others, and and so that was that was a good start there. I've been very fortunate to have mentors in different areas of my life who seem to always come along at the at the right time. What's interesting is is that there are mentors who came along just momentarily. I call them, and my friend Dondi Skumachi, who a leadership uh, expert who also happens to be a mentor of mine. She and I call these people drive-by mentors. And mm. may I share a story of one? Yes, please. I had I had just started really getting my legs out from under me in sales, and I was starting to do well. I was selling a high-ticket item, and and I was sort of the uh, the up-and-comer, and at this company I was working for uh, as a salesperson. And I came back from an appointment once where I was very disappointed because the sale did not take place. And it was a person who really should have said, yes, he would have benefited from this product and blah, 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 and the whole thing. And one of the people at the company, he was an older guy. And this is, you know, this is 35 years or so ago. So he was probably my age, <laughs> my age right now, right? <laughs> and I'm saying he's an older guy because uh, I'm 58, but he was an older guy. In fact, I think he retired soon after because I don't know if I saw him even too many times after that. Nice guy, but he he kind of looked at me and I think he saw me sort of like his Joe in the story, right? In the, uh, in the mm-hmm. go-giver. And he he said to me, Berg, can I give you a piece of advice? And fortunately, you know, I'm the, I'm the type that's always been pretty open to listening, which doesn't mean that you listen uncritically and that you just go ahead and use everyone's advice. No, of course not. You, you think about it and you, you, but I, I was open to listening and I'm glad that I did. He said to me, you know, Berg, if you want to make a lot of money in business, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, uh, don't have making money as your target. Your target, he said, is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he continued, you'll get a reward. That reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you want. But never forget, the money is only the reward for hitting the target. It's not the target itself. The target is serving others. Hmm. And I grasped that. And it made a huge difference in my selling career. Well, that, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it sounds like that was the seed that was planted for 
for this book and your your other yeah all, all, I mean, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> thirty five years ago uh huh <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that's awesome uh, one of the primary goals of my podcast is to really highlight the fact that entrepreneurs can actually pursue this path where his or her product or their service or their platform can impact the lives of others and they can earn a living. They can have both of those things, mm -hmm. as, as we said. And, and one of the, the lines that you wrote in the book kind of raised a few eyebrows, if you will. It said, does Joe asked the question about whether the product makes money. And, and, and I think it was Pindar that said, does it make money is not a bad question. It's a great question. It's just a bad first question. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Maybe it wasn't Pindar. Maybe it was Sam, actually. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, no, I think it was Pindar. I think you're right. Because I, I think that was pretty early because he was saying that, that when, um, because he was saying to Pindar something like, are you saying you shouldn't try to make money or something like that? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's a good question. And it's a question many people have, especially people with startups, because they're saying, what do you mean doesn't make money is, is, is a bad first question. It's the only question, right? Yeah. But think about it, uh, because it really uh, it makes logical sense when when taking it a step further. If you if you ask first if it makes money, you're not thinking about the marketplace itself. And keep in there's nothing fluffy about this. Keep in mind that nobody is going to buy from you because you need the money. They're not going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you think they should, because you think you've come up with something brilliant. They're going to buy from you because they believe that ultimately it's in their best interest to do so. They are going to buy from you because they believe that ultimately it has a bet doing so gives them a, uh, provides a better chance of them being happy than not happy. You know what I'm saying? So we've yeah, got to look at human nature here. And so, but when you say, okay, does this serve? Is this something that people are going to want or need or desire? And it may be that they already do, that there's already a market for it, or it might be uh, they don't even know they want it yet. Certainly nobody knew they wanted an iPod before Jobs invented it, right? But it mm -hmm. still had to be something that served, or else it could have been a great iPod and uh, it wouldn't have made any money at all. Mm -hmm. uh, also, mm -hmm. does it serve in the way that it does something good for humanity? And that doesn't have to mean some way out there, you know, kind of thing. No, I mean, making the best copper wire serves humanity because of all the things it does to help grow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so it's got to be something good. It's got to serve. First, you know, will it serve in terms of is this something that adds value to life itself, to humanity itself, to the world itself? But the, but the big thing really is, does it serve? Is there a market for it? Is it something people want? And, you know, it, let me take you back to uh, a great book. You, you may have read uh, per, The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I have not read that one. Actually. Oh, it was, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great book. And one of the things in the, the purple cow being that uh, it, it's something built in with, you know, with fascination and greatness. In other words, you know, you can pass a, a, a thousand cows. They all look alike. But if you saw a purple colored cow. It's like, whoa, okay, there's something there we've got to see. <laughs> but yeah. one of the things he talked about was an invention. Uh, and the invention was by uh, Friedrich von Veter in 1912. It was a machine that actually pre-sliced bread. 
for you. So when you bought it, it was already pre-sliced, sliced bread. How many times have we heard people when, when describing uh, an invention say it's the greatest thing since sliced bread? So right. obviously, as soon as that was invented, <laughs> it must have just sold out right away, correct? Well, mm -hmm. no. It sat there for 20 years until a company by the name of Wonder uh, took it over and started using it to, you know, in their in their packaging and pre-slice the bread. And all of a sudden, uh, this very useful invention was brought to the world. But before anyone knew about it, it, it sat there. Now, you can have something that, again, you think is great. Uh, is it going to make money? Well, I don't know. Is it going to serve? Is there going to be a market for it? And is it going to serve in such a way that people will continue to use it? So in other words, it's not, again, it's not that asking if it will make money is a bad question. It's a great question. It's important. It's got to make money or you've got a hobby. And while hobbies are great, it's not the same as having a business. You don't support yourself with a hobby, but it's asking the right question first. You know, it's the same as a salesperson who goes into a sales call. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson. And again, it's the same thing. They're not going to buy because you want them to or you need the money. If you go in there thinking about the money, if you go into your presentation thinking about transferring the money from that person's bank account to yours, you're probably not going to get the sale because mm -hmm. it's going to come through. Instead, if you're asking, how can I serve them? If you understand that selling is best defined as simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires, and helping them to get it, now your focus is in the right place. And if your focus is in the right place, the money's going to come. Let's segue into focus and intention. You've mentioned that word focus a couple of times. And in the story, Joe is introduced to Ernesto, mm -hmm. a, a larger-than-life Italian chef. Actually, I think you... You talked about him earlier. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> he, he started out with a, uh, hot, dogs, a yeah. hot dog stand. Yeah. And he grew into a very successful restaurateur, but also like a commercial property owner, mm -hmm. investor. But after visiting with, with Ernesto, Joe came away and he realized that, quote unquote, underneath that persona, there was a powerful sense of focus and intention. That kind of struck me in, in a different way than I, I thought it might and and I, I was wondering if you could share with us why that was an important takeaway for Joe and how we as entrepreneurs should think about focus and intention. Well, I think there are a couple of levels there. One, it's that the people, and I'm certainly not the first one to ever say this, it's been said for years, and I believe this is very true, that is that we as human beings make decisions based on very limited information. So he saw this kind of jovial, friendly, self-effacing guy and was very surprised to learn that here's a guy who is serious about business. And here's a guy who is very, very successful. He had that sense of focus and intention that just came through once you were paying attention to it. Now, why is that so important as an entrepreneur? Because it is up to you to, to make this thing happen. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't other people involved. Of course, in a society, it's made up of other people. And it's your job to develop and cultivate these relationships with other people. Absolutely. But everything about what you're doing must be focused and it must be uh, it must be with intention to accomplish a certain thing, because mm -hmm. it's much too easy to 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 take our eye off the ball, especially today. Right. I mean, there are things going on uh 
uh, you know, a mile a minute everywhere from the ding of the computer to the this and the that and the phones and everything happening. It's very easy to also chase after the next great opportunity. But you find that the most successful entrepreneurs tend to uh, tend to be very focused. They they do one thing. Now, and again, I don't want to say that as an end-all, be-all, because obviously people doesn't mean you don't have different interests or different things you do, but they they have a focus. You know, just like that, uh, uh, just like holding the magnifying glass under the sun on the piece of paper, and the it burns a hole through the paper if you hold the mic, the uh, if you hold the um, magnifying glass still, but it's not going to if you keep moving it around. It's that same thing. You've got to be very focused on accomplishing what you know you're supposed to accomplish every day, every week, every month, every year. And intention comes right along with that. You have an intention to do a certain thing and you don't stop until it happens. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't uh, uh, that you that you're not flexible. Obviously, you may have an intention to get through the wall, but if the wall is not not breaking, you need to go through the door you know, or, or, or what have you. So you can be flexible on strategy. But in terms of intention, it's, you know, again, it's that it's that same thing, just like the magnifying glass. That's a really powerful concept, both of those things. I mean, it, it, you know, one of the things that struck me in what you were just talking about is that you could still be this fun, loving, larger than life type character and be super serious and focused and intentional. And you don't have to be. Uh, this, you know, hard shell character. You can be that empathetic person and still be incredibly successful. Right, right. And the examples that you use in your book, whether it's Ernesto or Pindar, are are amazing. Let's go back to the law of compensation, which is your compensation is directly proportional to how many lives you serve and how well you serve them. There's two key tenets in this law. One is that it's your compensation is directly under your control. And two, there's no limitations on, on what you can earn because you always have more people to serve. Right. And, and this to me, and I think to a lot of people, is kind of a hard one to grasp. And maybe it comes down to mindset. So how can people who've operated under a different paradigm begin to flip the switch, so to speak, and live out this, this law? Sure, that's a great question. And it does come down to mindset. And then it also comes down, I believe, to skill set. The first mindset is understanding that, yes, you do have that ability to be able to do that. Now, someone says, well, uh, just like um, I almost said Annette because that's who she was based on. But Nicole Martin in the <laughs> in the uh, story, the CEO who started out as a school teacher. Now, obviously, and she, and she loved her job. The, the The kids and the parents loved her but she could only serve a certain amount of people, obviously, because there's only so many classes a day and only so much room for so many kids in the class. So she could have easily been stuck in that paradigm and said, well, okay, there's nothing more I can do. I'm going to earn this paycheck and serve this many people. But she said, no, there is something I can do. I can find a way to serve more people. How? Well, she got together with, with a, um, a programmer, and she came up with uh, learning systems for children, which was an online, uh, you know, set of of teaching programs. And she was able to now serve millions of people. Now, this was based on on a friend of mine from years ago. Her name was Annette, who was a teacher, and kind of had the same things going on that Nicole did. Now, she didn't start a uh, Annette didn't start a um, uh, 
online thing. But what she started doing was she started part-time uh, giving tutoring sessions to kids and uh, to just to earn some extra money by serving more people. And the parents mm -hmm. loved the job she was doing with their kids so much that they would refer her to other parents. And she started getting so much business that she had to now subcontract some of the work to some other people to be tutors. And now she's making a little bit of money from that too, aside from the one, aside from her school teaching, aside from her tutoring, now she's making, you know, a piece of the action on the, the people she's referring, right? Uh, not referring, but subcontracting. Uh, and finally, she started making so much money, she stopped being a teacher and and built the tutoring business and and hired uh, a lot of people and uh, made a great living. Now, this is what this is exactly what I mean. So people are saying, well, okay, but I'm an entrepreneur. I have a business. There's, a, you know, I have a certain product. People buy from me, and that's it. Well, no, I bet you there's other things that you can sell for those same people. Okay that are add-ons to that product, something that helps them, helps bring more value to them. But that's only one part of it. You can also find ways to increase your market. How? Uh, I don't know. Is there a video you can do, an instructional video? Can you sell your products or services through the internet? Can you find affiliates to do? I, I don't know. There's all sorts of different ways and different models work for different people. Uh, but that's really what it is. So it's understanding first, as you said, mindset that yes, you can do it, but it, and it's also skill set. It's knowing how to create more relationships with more people that allow you to add more value to the lives of more people. Thank you for unpacking that for us, because I, I I think that's an important lesson for people to take away and to think creatively and be open to that law of receptivity. Because if you if you don't flip the switch and, and start to think un, under a new paradigm as it relates to the law of compensation, you're really not going to be open to receiving any opportunities that come mm -hmm. your way. One of the principles that you talked about in the book also, I think it's the fifth law is, uh, or the fourth law is the law of influence. And I love the quote, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. So how does a go-giver create influence both personally and in business, and how does that directly relate to new business or even leadership? Sure. Well, so let's let's look at the word influence, and, and in terms of of what it means, um, so that we're we're coming from the, the from so all of us are coming from the same premise. Influence on a very very basic level can be defined as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Uh, on a bit deeper level, we could say that that influence is an unseen flow of power. Now, both of those um, definitions work, but I don't believe either one of them captures the actual essence of influence. Uh, I believe the essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push. Uh, you, you, you don't hear people say, wow, that, that Mary or that, that Tom, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people, right? Uh, he is just so mm -hmm. pushy, man. People just love him. They do it right No, Of course not. Uh, it's not push it's pull. He has a lot of pull and that's what influence really is. It's, uh, it's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. And again, they do that not through through push or pushing themselves or their ideas on others or being push E, but through pull. Now, 
Why does this work so well? Again, we're, we're tapping into an understanding of human nature. People want to feel legitimately as though you, you care about them. I, I love Simon Sinek's uh, definition of trust in his, his great book, Leaders Eat Last. He says, trust is a biological reaction to the belief that someone has our well-being at heart. So once you, once someone trusts you, as I like to say, when they know you, like you and trust you, now you can influence because you, you have their commitment as opposed to the person who, who tries to influence or lead through push, right? That's compliance and trying to lead or influence on by way of compliance just doesn't work very well. At best, people will do exactly what you tell them. That's at best. At worst, they'll find a way to sabotage the process completely. When, when, when people are committed to you and your ideas, and they're much more likely to be so because they, they know you have their best interest, their well-being at heart, now your life obviously becomes a lot more easier and a lot more easy, excuse me, and you become a lot more, a, a lot more effective. So, so we can do this during an initial conversation with someone. How? Well, simply by focusing on them, making it about them, not about us. Uh, mm-hmm. It's asking what I call feel good questions rather than, than questions that are, you know, intrusive or invasive or prospecty or what have you. Instead, you you sort of uh, let them talk about themselves. Feel good questions are simply questions that by their very nature make this person feel good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Uh, Questions such as uh, asking someone how they got started in their business. It's a mundane question, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, there's nothing clever about it, but people love answering that question because you're making Mm -hmm. them the star. You're doing something for them that very few people ever do. Asking that person, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Again, it's a feel-good question. People, uh, by the very nature of the question, people feel good at uh, answering it. Probably one of the most important questions and one of the most effective questions you can ever ask someone. I've had people tell me that asking this question has, has turned their career, and that's this. Dave or Mary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospect for you. Mm. And if they're not in sales or what have you, it would be, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is, is someone you'd like to meet or would be a good connection for you or something like that. But notice that mm. what you're doing is you're making it not about you, but you're making it about the other person. Mm. That's really powerful. Jeez. Thank you for sharing that. But it that. does have to be genuine. You know, I, I often say that the because we talk about people skills and how important they are, but, you know, the single greatest the single greatest people skill, Mike, is simply a highly developed and authentic interest in the other person. Can you repeat that Simon Sinek quote? Yeah, yeah. He said, and it's from his book, Leaders Eat Last. Uh, Trust is a biological reaction to the belief that someone has our well-being at heart. Man, that is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, before we let you go, I, I always ask, uh, this question from Clay Christensen's book uh, of the same title, which is how will you measure your life? So Bob Berg, how will you measure your life? Well, one, you know, I like to believe I'm an encourager. So I guess I would measure it by, uh, how much I've been able to encourage people and how many people I've been able to encourage. <laughs> so there's the, the second law, right, from the, uh, the go-to. Right, right. Also, but there'd also happen to be when, I, when talking about measuring 
my life, I'd also have to ask how close did I come to living up to my potential? Because that's, that's also, I think a very important measurement. Mm -hmm. That, that is one. I think that I think we all, those of us who are aware of the amazing potential that we all possess, uh, are, are really trying to live toward and constantly pushing back our limiting beliefs toward, uh, to, to achieve that. And I just posted an article on Huffington Post, specifically about how we are all created for greatness. Mm. We will be sure to link to your book and all your social media channels in the show notes. Is there any other way that you'd like to invite listeners to interact with you? Uh, they can really visit um, thegogiver.com without the hyphen, just thegogiver.com. And uh, while they're there, they can scroll down the page, get a chapter of the book if they'd like, uh, subscribe to my, uh, or check out the uh, podcast, the Go Giver podcast. The Go Giver Sales Academy, and we have a lot of goodies there. So stop on by and have fun. And and, and Mike, I want to thank you for having me on on your show. You do such just fantastic work, and I really appreciate what you're doing. Well, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate you. Are there any final words for all the Go Givers out there, especially the new ones? You know, I think just go out there and try to really be of value to others. Uh, which again, again, does not mean you're self-sacrificial. You always want to act congruently with your values. It simply means always look for ways that you can add value to another person's life. But also remember this, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. So when looking to add value to others, you've got to first find out what it is they value. Mm, very powerful. Well, again, Bob, thank you for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. We hope that you have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and have fun while you're impacting the lives of others. And you as well. Thank you. Money is not target. Serving others is the target and money is the reward. This is precisely why Bob Berg is an impact entrepreneur and is changing the lives of those around him. At the end of the day, you and I truly get to decide it's up to us whether we are going to be a go-giver or a, a getter, a taker. And we have to ask ourselves how we can abundantly place other people's interests before our own. And remember, becoming well-versed in the five laws that Bob laid out in our conversation and in the book, which I highly recommend you go to Amazon right now and buy, requires a great deal of focus and intention, and it's up to us to make it happen. When you get a chance, head over to Facebook and type in at Impact Entrepreneur Show and let me know what you thought about today's episode and what were some of the key takeaways that you're going to implement in your life because I know you are not a podcast junkie. The greatest compliment that you could give me is introducing this podcast to one of your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your colleagues, and also heading over to iTunes and writing a review and rating the show. Last and certainly not least, thanks to Cody and his team at Podcast Masters for the awesome production and helping me create a great show. Now go make an impact.